culture of your home is the incubator of character. You are the only mother that your child has. You're the only father that your child has. You're the only person who can be you in their life. And you have a lot to offer. Isn't the goal of parenting not that we have these 42-year-olds who are still coming home on time and cleaning their rooms, but that they actually leave and we have hardwired them for the virtues that we want to see in them? The thing we all have in common is that we are interested in our kids' future. I know the Parent Network exists to help moms and dads in whatever way you can, when you can, and how you can help moms and dads help their children have the future that God's promised them. Well, hello and welcome to the Parent Network Podcast, episode 89. I'm Sass. I'm here with my friend Erica Svab. Erica, you should say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. I Thanks of, for tuning in. Yeah, I think a lot of folks know Erica. Erica works here at our church as the uh, parent coordinator for our student ministries. And our new friend, Dr. Chenwei Williams. Dr. Williams, thank you for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, we had an event last night with our parent network where Dr. Williams shared about her uh, book that she's done with Will Hutcherson. It's called Seen. Oh, gosh, can I get the subtitle right? Healing, Anxiety, and Despair in kids and teenagers through the power of connection Bingo. the longest subtitle ever thank you i missed part of it but thanks for <laughs> you did good it was a great event and actually if you go to our website uh, portcity.church forward slash parents uh you can watch the event just there's a kind of right in the middle there there's a watch button and you can see kind of what we covered what we talked about in the event and this podcast is really kind of a, a q a with dr williams because what we told uh, people at the the event is if you have any questions write them down and boy did we get some questions <laughs> we sure did we were able to answer a few of them uh during the event but we are going to answer i think it's like nine or ten questions right now <laughs> so thank you for being willing to do this Absolutely. Yeah, here we My go. Pleasure. Tell everybody who wasn't at the event just a little bit about you, who you are, and what you do. Absolutely. So I'm a mental health therapist. I practice outside of Roswell, Georgia. And for any of you who are familiar with the Atlanta area, Roswell is approximately 27 miles north of the Atlanta airport. And um, my main ministry is my family. Uh, my husband, Lonnie, and I have been married for 13 years. We've got three kiddos, 19, 11, and 7. And it sounds like just a super fun household for sure. For <laughs> it what is up. a super fun household. Yes. <laughs> Never great. a dull moment. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, like I said, Dr. Williams has been kind of going around the country speaking really about on this new book and it is just such a great book. It's got a lot of great tools. And again, if you go back and watch the event or just better yet, go buy the book uh, and read it and you'll kind of understand a lot of what we're talking about. But here are uh, some of the questions that we got last night. This is bonus material from the podcast. Uh, Dr. Williams, what is the role of medicine and genetics when it comes to helping kids grow and, and all those things? Yeah, first of all, may I say that your audience is very smart because that is like a $1,000 question. Um, and so I think it's always important to just share my background in terms of my credentials. So as a licensed professional counselor, I'm a clinical therapist. I don't prescribe medication and I'm not a geneticist, so I can't speak specifics, but I can absolutely share just overall knowledge that hopefully will answer the question. Yeah, go for um, it. So it's important to know that genetics play a significant role in our overall health, how we understand how illnesses form, but also the prevention of illnesses. So. It's important to know that we can promote health and prevent disease if we know our genetic background. Again, not my area, but I would absolutely encourage 
the um, the person that asked the question to seek more knowledge from someone who can maybe do some genetic testing. And here's why it's important. It's important because genetics will help us understand how a disease forms, um, but also how to recognize the manner in which each person will respond to a specific therapy. So it could be a drug therapy. Um, and just real quickly, we know in the area of addiction and also anxiety, there's a huge um, significant genetic link. So if your parent or grandparent has had anxiety, there's a 30% chance that you're gonna have anxiety. But there's this whole world of nature versus nurture. We call it epigenetics, right? The role that our environment plays in the things that we go through, even genetically, and it's significant. So just because your parents have experienced something doesn't mean that you will, or it doesn't mean that you're not gonna be able to recover from it if you do experience that thing. But the most important thing is just get the information um, because in terms of medication for mental health, something that works for your mom or your aunt or your grandmother might actually work really well for you. So it saves time. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'd like to move to the next question, Dr. Yeah. Williams. Um, we know that there's a lot of other family members that are helping out um, <laughs> with families these days, right? Yes. Um, so the question is, um, is the grandparents' role and responsibility the same as the parents? Oh my gosh, I love this question so much because, grand, first of all, there were a lot of grandparents there last night. Did you guys yes, notice that? Yes, were. Yes, and sure. you came sure and talked about, you know, some things. And, and I actually feel like I know the person that asked this question, so I really want to just honor it by saying thank you for coming out. Thank you for wanting to play a role. And here's the thing. Grandparents play an important role because, first of all, they're like having a big hug, right? And mm -hmm. if you live in close proximity, if you're a grandparent and you live in close proximity to your grandchildren, oh my gosh, they need you so much. They need those stories. They need to, the traditions during the Zoom COVID period. Grandparents shared recipes. And we know through the science that grandparents can actually help to reduce the overall household stress. Um, in so many different ways by sharing those resources or those sh you know stories by helping out for parents, especially if single parents, and just connecting with the child. It's a secure, stable, um, caring adult. It's like one extra person that you share a genetic link with, right? And so grandparents are super important. And so if you have access to your kids, this is your grandkids, this is what I wanna say to you, you don't even have to teach, not in the formal way. You don't have to correct, leave the discipline to the parents. Just be fun and also available, but also share wisdom. Correct if you need to, right, in the moment, but mostly what I hear from my kiddos is, we love our grandparents because they're so much fun. Um, so that role is mm. important. <laughs> my kids used to love <clears throat> going to my mom and dad's house. And uh, my mom developed the phrase, what happens at grandma stays at grandma's. <laughs> yes. And I can, you can tell have, you some stories. And you can have all the candy you want. Don't oh, tell your mom. <laughs> don't get me on the time where they had uh, ice cream for dinner and popcorn and they drank half and half because mom didn't have any milk. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Anyway, <clears throat> her kids definitely told on her. Uh, it's okay. Uh, question number three, uh, how do we help our kids develop an emotional vocabulary? Yeah, we talked a lot about this yesterday. I cannot tell you how big this is. And sometimes when I mention it, parents, they won't roll their eyes, but they're thinking, gosh, that just seems so simple or basic, or I grew up without even talking about feelings. Um, our younger generation need more. 
if we want our kids to emotionally regulate, if we want to cultivate emotional intelligence, which parents, educators, leaders want, the best leaders are the most emotionally intelligent leaders. If we want that for our kids, we have to allow them to have emotional language. So the first thing is allow them to have their feelings. I can't tell you how many times parents, and I've done it too, we inadvertently shut down our kids' feelings by invalidating them, right? And I said this last night, I feel like the biggest way we fail to see our kids is when we ignore or disregard their emotions. So the way that you build their emotional vocabulary is you use emotional language. When you come home from your day, even if you're not a big feelings person, if you can be intentional about using one feeling word to describe your day. I had a great day and I feel excited. I'm nervous about this upcoming talk that I'm going to do. I feel frustrated because things aren't going as fast as I planned. Something simple as that. Um, For little kids, I love having books and images of emotions, such as what you would see like in a pediatrician's office, like an emoticon, and then ask your child to pick out what it is that they're feeling. You can see the face, right? Is it frustration? Is it disappointment? Is it glee? And use a variety of emotions. And then one last tip, we talked about the feelings will for teenagers, but for if you're raising little kids, um, books. There's so many different books right now that talk specifically about feelings of happiness, peace, joy, anger, anxiety. We have to experience the full spectrum of emotions. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I love that kind of modeling that for you know for your kids to be able to, to, to express your feelings through words yes. so that they kind of learn, hey, this is okay to do that. Yeah, that's the best way, actually. Mm-hmm. That's great. For sure. I will say, I strongly suggest that you download the feelings wheel. <laughs> um, it is the best thing ever. My daughter actually got a feelings wheel pillow, which I thought, okay, this is a bit much. However, her language enabled being able to articulate how she's feeling, which is something that's been really hard for her, um, just going through high school and whatever, has just opened up into like this whole new person who's able to just tell me Yes. Instead of just, I don't know how I feel. That's how yes. I was. That's the answers I was mm-hmm. getting all the yes. time. It really, it really is like magic. Yeah, we did this. <laughs> so ex- look it up. We did this exercise last night with the parents, it, it, like not being able to express your feelings. It's like, you know, inhaling a big breath and not being able to exhale. Mm-hmm. And so people don't think of it that way, but it causes problems when we suppress our emotions. So we want to start early. Yep. Mm-hmm. So For true. Sure. Okay, Dr. Williams, the next question is, does social anxiety lead to binge eating or are the two issues separate? Yeah, the two issues can absolutely be interrelated. I will say I'm not an eating disorder specialist, but what I do know is that there is a huge link between any eating disorder and trauma. And by the way, trauma was formally listed as a stress disorder. Now it's its own entity because it's so big, but it's a stress disorder. So absolutely stressful situations, anxiety provoking situations can exacerbate any sort of eating disorder. And by the way, any sort of mental health challenge period. So I would say that there's a link, but if you want to learn a little bit more, maybe visit a website on eating disorders mm-hmm. and reach out to a eating disorder specialist who will offer a consultation for free, 10 or 15 minute talk. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. <clears throat> that is great. Okay, so what if only one parent is on board and doing the parenting? Yeah, that's so tough. Uh, There's so many parents that are solo parenting right now for so many 
different reasons. And what I want to say to this parent is I see you. Obviously, this is a podcast. I don't see you, but I hear you. (laughs) I hear that that it can be very lonely. That can be very discouraging. And your child needs you. So what I have found as a school counselor, as a therapist for almost 18 years, is that it only takes one caring adult. So you keep showing up. Um, keep praying because God can do anything in the heart of the other parent that may not be on the same page, or maybe the other parent is just not around, period. And just ask God to strengthen you for the work ahead. Um, your child needs you even through the bumps, and there will be bumps, especially during adolescence. Stay close, stay consistent, um, and reach out for support. So if there's a, um, a community group that's a part of your church, Um, Facebook is actually really good for this, where you can just vent and share resources. I highly recommend that. Mm, That's so good. Um, Okay, do you have any additional practical advice um, for parents of children who have undergone the trauma of foster care and adoption? Wow, yeah. So um, just a little bit of background. Uh, This is my area, so I always have to take a deep breath because there's so much content around trauma. There's so much that we know about trauma. If you are um, not familiar with the ACES website, please look it up. Um, I'm so grateful that schools and churches and even corporations are very interested in adverse childhood experiences. So that's what ACE stands for. There's a wonderful website that um, can provide information for you as well as the National Child Trauma Um, and Stress Network is a website, and actually the website link is nctsn.org. Let me also say that the tips that are in the book scene are very useful for helping you to parent a child who's going through any level of difficulty, and mental health is mental health. So we're talking about high anxiety or despair, but trauma and self-harm and all of these things fall, autism even, right? All of these things fall under the umbrella of there's something that your child needs more of, and that's you. So hopefully the tips in the book will be helpful in addition to those websites. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how would you handle when one child's behavior triggers the other's behavior? <laughs> that happens quite a bit. Really? Yeah. <laughs> can't imagine. Kids have different temperaments, different personalities. Um, they may just have a bad day. This is a tough part. Of, this is the, one of the tough parts of parenting. So what I would say about that is the child that is being triggered needs to feel attended to. Um, but you do so separately. They both need to be attended to, but typically we will, as parent, will address the fire that's burning like, you know, the biggest, right? The biggest flame and we'll go to the child that's triggering. The child that's being impacted may be the quote unquote good child and they're stuffing and suppressing emotions and feelings. And so that's why Will and I in our book, we talk a lot about dating each child independently, mm-hmm. taking the child out doing whatever is meaningful for them and using that as an opportunity to to connect, but also say, how are things going? And like from a scale of one to 10, how would you describe how life is at school with your friends, at home, with your siblings, right? Kind of give them parameters. You don't want to leave it open-ended. Like, how are you doing? You want to be very specific. Fine. Right, exactly. (laughs) I don't don't know. know. (laughs) (laughs) Be pretty specific, one to 10. That's what I use in the therapy room um, with adults as well. And just say, well, mom, mom's here for you. And I know it's tough right now. It's a tough season. 
if there's anything that you need, please know that I'm here or there's another adult that's here. And sometimes I miss things, right? So sometimes we're so over our kids fighting. We were like, you two separate, right? And I will tell you, I have adults telling me right now, I have a 30 something year old woman who's married with two kids. And she said, I hated when my parents said that because it wasn't me but they lumped us together. Um, so make sure each child is getting individual attention. I think that's great. <clears throat> I do. I, I know it kind of reminds me of something that um, our pastor says, and we've said on the podcast before, but in talking about sort of building that, those relationships with your individual kids, <clears throat> he said one time in one of the parenting uh, parent network things we did that you have to talk about everything mm-hmm. so that you can talk about anything. Mm, that's good. And it's just, you know, building the relationships mm-hmm. with your kids and dating yes. them and talking about the things they're involved with that you could care less about. Yes. But it's just building that relationship so that you open the door yeah. to having the deeper conversations later. Oh my gosh, so. yes. just very quickly, a pastor shared with me somewhere in the Northeast that um, we were doing maybe a podcast or a Zoom thing. And he shared with me very openly and the crowd, I don't know my son anymore. Mm-hmm. Like something happens during those teenage years and your buttons get pushed and then you start to sort of like, you know, take a step back. And he said, now my child is almost 18, about to leave the house. I have so much I want to share, so much wisdom I want to impart, but we lost three years and he felt horrible. Yeah. So talk about everything so you can talk about anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love what you touched on last night too, um, just about being available when they're ready to talk, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And a lot of times for teenagers, and I, I can attest to this, <laughs> they want to talk when we're ready to go to bed, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, last night, for example, I'm falling asleep on the couch after our event just trying to unwind a little, but I'm literally like, my eyes are like being forced to stay open. And my son who's 14 walks by and he goes, mom, you should go to bed. And I'm like, I am, I just need a couple minutes to just decompress a little. He goes, I'd like to talk about all the things I would like you to buy at the store for breakfast. Cause I'm thinking about, you know, <laughs> I'm wanting to just eat better and I'm wanting to just have more choices in the morning that are quick. So can we just brainstorm now some things? And I'm like, <laughs> Now, what would you did. do? Well, we, I, yeah, right. I was like, you know what? I don't want to talk about this now, but yeah. I did. Yeah. And um, he was just happy this morning that mm. I remembered what I said I was going to do this morning to help him get some good food in his stomach before wow. a long day of school. And he thanked me and wow. it was worth it. It was worth forcing myself to stay awake and have a conversation that I really didn't want to have last night. But it's those things like when he wants to talk, especially like I just, I have to just push it aside and make the time because it goes, it really does go a long way. And sometimes my teenagers will tell me in the therapy room, it's a test. It's a test for connecting. Interesting. Relationship oh, test. gosh. Like it's if a, she's they're about testing to fall asleep, oh, gosh. if she's doing laundry, if she's focused on something completely, you know, different from me, and I mm. go up to her, I'm wondering if I'm important. Mm. Will she stop what she's doing to pay attention to me? Wow. Mm-hmm. And, and the phrase that kind of has come into my head the last couple of years and talking about this in a lot of different ways is when, the, when those moments happen, mm-hmm. I have to say yes. Yes. I have to say yes. yes. Obviously, there are times I can't say yes, but because of you know, work or whatever, but right. I have to say yes. And so, mm-hmm. way to go, Erica. Yeah. Good job, Erica. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Okay, this one is just a bunch of words on this card, but it, there's a question in here that I'm gonna articulate. It says, depression, irritability, disrespect, they're closed off. Mm-hmm. 
I know I need to focus on the relationship, which is what we were just talking about. But what does that mean? Yes. <laughs> it says focus on relationship equals question mark. <laughs> so when, so when my good. kid's kind of going through depression, irritability, disrespect, and they're closed off, how do I focus on the relationship? Yes. Oh, I love this question. I, I Again, I'm, I promise you I'm not trying to sell a book. But but buy it. We cover yes. a lot of these things in depth. Um, we even tell you what not to say. Um, so relational comments or responses really activate the right side of the brain in a good way. Uh, so if your child is experiencing depression, despair, anxiety, they probably will be shut down or they'll be over talking but not really making sense because there's just so much energy there. So what I would say is recognize that your buttons will be pushed, but try not to take it personal. So especially for teenagers, um, their behaviors can push us away. And like we just talked about, sometimes it's a test. Like, how much do we really care? How much do they matter to us? Um, so relational language is always putting the relationship that you want to have with them in the future first. So it's not what they're presenting with in the moment. They're 13, they're 15, they're figuring it out. They're six. But what do you want from them when there's a crisis moment? You want them to call you. If you call mm -hmm. them, you want them to pick up. If you have Thanksgiving dinner when they're 22 years old, you want them to come home. Mm, so that's right. think about those things. So it, you know, if you give me a specific scenario, I'll tell you what to say. But it's always like, yeah, this behavior is not okay, but I love you and we're gonna work through this. And whenever you're ready to talk, I'm here. Don't give up as Don't a parent give up. Mm -hmm. on those relationships. Mm -hmm. So Really good. Yep. Okay, <clears throat> so this is one I think we'll all three talk about, and then Erica's got kind of one more mm -hmm. category. Uh, how would you encourage older teens to focus on God during their anxious and depressed times when she's tried to do that previously, and now she's moving through a questioning phase of her own views and her faith in God? Yeah, so you guys can definitely chime in on this, but I think questioning your faith is a part of spiritual like formation and development, I would imagine, right? Yep. And also with anxiety, there is an aspect of questioning everything, questioning sometimes your existence, questioning what really matters, having a lot of self-doubt. Um, so that is, you know, sort of part of an emotional struggle is not being certain of a lot of things, but we want to make sure that your child knows that that's okay, but also provide resources and support that's available that's not just your voice. Um, so I'll let you guys chime in there, but this is a great question. Yeah, I think it's either Kara Powell or somebody out at Fuller once said, doubts aren't toxic, unexplored doubts are. Mm. And so, so many teenagers, they have the doubts and, and we have to create an environment in our homes, in our churches, in their small groups, where asking the questions that they have is okay. Yeah. And they aren't looked down upon because they have a certain question about faith or God or anything. And so we we're able to have the conversations in a loving way yes. and, and, and just lead them to explore. One of the kind of core values here at Port City is discovery, mm. where what we want to do is we want to discover kind of what God's doing in our lives. And that's exactly what these mm -hmm. kids and teenagers need to do. They don't need to be told you must believe this because that's why so many of them walk, walk away from away. the church is because they just don't and they can tolerate it for four to six years and yeah. go to carowinds and the ski trip and you know have fun in youth group if you will yes but they're not really grabbing hold on to it unless they're really wrestling with it yeah in their heart. yeah and that actually is helpful whole another conversation but about like sex yeah and drugs it can't just be don't do it it's allow them to explore give them the space to talk about mm -hmm. what's coming up for 
Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, really, really good. Um, okay, Dr. Williams, we have one last question that's probably going to generate a couple other questions that I'll ask to follow up with what you said, but sure. we'll start with how do I find the right therapy for my child? Where do we even start? Yes. So this actually can be really confusing. And it's a question uh, I get quite a bit. I think a lot of therapists get quite a bit. So the first thing that I would want parents to know is to distinguish, does your child need therapy or do you think they need medication? Because all therapists, um, most therapists don't prescribe medication Mm -hmm. and know that therapy will work it's effective without medication. So sometimes we think that that's the first thing when we see extreme behaviors or something that we're really worried about, like self-harming, talk therapy will work. So the first step is the great, probably the best first step is reaching out to your pediatrician Mm -hmm. because they have a lot of knowledge around child development and emotional and mental health milestones. In fact, most pediatricians are able to actually prescribe mental health medication. But again, that may not be what your child needs. Um, so ask your pediatrician for recommendations. Um, the second thing that I would mention is Facebook. Not a huge fan of social media as it relates to like child mental health. Um, but as an adult, I find social media to be very helpful in terms of resources and something like parenting groups. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the show notes, I can provide a list of active online parenting groups for parents to um, explore that helps uh, parents locate resources. So that's another mm-hmm. thing. And then finally, reach out to your insurance provider because that that will, you know, you'll know what your family's coverage is and then that will help you um, determine who's going to be like within your network because that saves a lot of frustration because, you know, therapy's expensive. And so you may get a recommendation from your pediatrician or from your neighbor and you're like, I can't afford $150. Go to your insurance company and sometimes they'll send you a list via text mm-hmm. of folks in the area. Yeah, that's a good a good tip. Um, okay, but what about the teens who look at their parents in the face and say, don't pull that therapy stuff on me. <laughs> I am not going. I don't need therapy. Yeah, well, similar to faith and similar to other hard mm-hmm. conversations, you don't want to push anything on on a child. You don't want to convince, especially a teenager, younger kids, that's a little bit different. Um, You have more control, but a teenager doesn't need to be convinced that they need therapy. I believe that that's something that the individual, to get the most out of therapy, they have Mm -hmm. to come to that realization on their own. So just frame it. If you're seeing something that they are struggling with, frame your language around what can we do to support you? And it doesn't have to be therapy. Mm-hmm. It can be a small group leader. It can be a coach. It can be, um, my goodness, you're taking so many AP classes. Do I need to talk to the school counselor to get some of that off of your load? Because I was a school counselor. That was a significant part of my kid's stress mm-hmm. was the load that they were carrying, but they didn't want to say anything. So they exhibited all of these mental health symptoms, but what they were really feeling was overwhelm and burnout. Um, And then what I would say is when you are talking to the therapist, let's say you have uh, a name of someone that will work really well, ask really good questions. And I actually have a list of questions that I wanna just run through very quickly. Ask, first of all, do you accept insurance? Because therapy might be a long-term deal and you wanna make sure that your family can afford it. Then ask, what can we expect in terms of family involvement? I wanna say there's a question about family involvement, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then say, you know what? This is what the situation is in my household. 
based on the earlier question, let's use that as a scenario. My partner, my, my spouse is not, my child's father, for example, is not in the picture. What does that look like for his involvement, for our involvement? Because mm. that can actually be a sticky, <laughs> a source of contention for therapists as well when parents aren't really speaking, but you want to provide care for the family, right? And then also, what do I need to bring to the first appointment? And what type of therapy do you practice? How would you describe your treatment style? So consider this a relationship, just like any other relationship, like your doctor, right? You want to know that it's going to be a good fit. So you want to know their credentials, their backgrounds, what they're good at. Um, I always stress to parents that just because you receive a recommendation from a friend, who saw a therapist, but that friend is an adult, it doesn't mean that that therapist is going to be the best fit for your child. You want to look for a child therapist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think it's okay to say too, that your child may find a therapist or try one out and it might not be the, a good fit and yes. that's okay. Yes. And even telling them up front, like, Hey, let's just try this out. Let's see how it goes. We'll try it one or two times to give it a fair try. Um, but this is not, a, if it's not a good fit for you, we can find someone else, yeah. which I know sounds daunting, but it's worth it. 100% because the main ingredient that causes change in the therapeutic relationship is the relationship. Mm -hmm. It's not this therapy versus that therapy. You went to NYU. I went to University of Georgia. No, it's actually the click. Like, you know, when you've had chemistry with someone, especially nope. a healthcare provider, mm -hmm. you feel like you can tell them anything, right? And so I always tell parents, if the child likes the therapist, even if you're not sure what's happening, you're not seeing change right away, let them go for a little while mm -hmm. because that is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. um, what do you say about like 18, 19, 20 year olds? Should parents be involved in older teens therapy? Yeah, to an extent. So um, once the child hits 18, the therapist will not, you know, just from, you know, HIPAA rules and, um, you know, it's a violation of confidentiality to share what's happening within the therapy room. But again, everything goes back for me to relationships. So I will actually ask a 19 year old who probably still lives with the parents or the parents are supporting them through college, what's okay to share? I ask that question as a therapist. So as a parent, it's okay to say, what is my involvement? And so sometimes, depending on the relationship between the teen and the parent, they're gonna let me share a lot because they need their parents' support. Sometimes if it's contentious or there's a conflict, I won't be able to share a lot. And so it's my job to really equip the child or the, in this case, the 19 year old. Um, but if there's something that's a crisis that occurs or the child is wanting to not be here anymore, the child knows that I have to tell someone in order to get them support. Mm -hmm. So ask the therapist what their policy is around confidentiality and sharing necessary information. Mm -hmm. Good, that's good. Such great stuff, both uh, <clears throat> last night at the event. Like I said, you can go to portcity.church/parents and uh, find where you can click on to watch what happened last night. And I know, Dr. Williams, people can go to thescenebook.com. 
<clears throat> to buy the book, to download the feelings wheel, to get a bunch of other resources. What else do you want to kind of help parents know is out there and, and give them kind of resources where they can continue to have these conversations? Yeah. So I'm pretty active on Instagram. And so my Instagram handle is Dr. Dr. Period Chinway Williams, my full name. And I share mental health tips and resources. I also share a little bit about my family. Um, so if you're interested in that, um, you'll get some of that. But we have like a whole list of resources, including a psychology um, today directory. So if you're looking for a therapist on my link tree for Instagram, you can find one using this resource. That's great. Um, and then my website is drchinwaywilliams.com. Excellent. So good. Thank yes, you yes. so much for taking the time to do fun. this. Yay. Yeah, we appreciate it. So, hey, don't forget, you can also follow us uh, on the Parent Network at PC3Parents. We've got a Facebook page. We've got Instagram. We've got Twitter. We're somewhat active on those things, but you can always reach out to us. And uh, we also have an email address, parents at portcitychurch.org. If you need some help or you want to connect, email us and uh, we'll get back to you for sure. But we are thankful to be uh, kind of in and a part of this conversation. And we'll talk to you again next time on the Parent Network Podcast. Thank you.